listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 213, Blackmore's Night, Shadow of the Moon, Part 1. And coming to you from Dog Poop Studios here in the suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. Hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> coming to you, coming to thee from the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. I am your, I am the co-host, John, Sheriff of Nottingham, Matola. <laughs> oh boy, how do I follow that? That was worth it. <laughs> coming to you from the center square. That's what it looks like on Zoom to me. Rich, uh, hope I don't choke like the Bruins shaler. Oh, let's not talk about that. Wow. <laughs> and coming to you from the soon-to-be boiling streets of Las Vegas, Scott, mismatched car parts Haskin. <laughs> so, um, so what's going on with the car? What's the latest, the latest on the car? So for those of you who remember way back when we recorded the first episode for the Stranger in Us All Rainbow Review, uh, my car blew a tire that day. The tow truck driver damaged the handle. I've been dealing with that ever since. It's now May 1st, and uh, the handle has been replaced with a handle that does not match the car. They did not tell me on the estimate that they don't make it in the color of my car anymore. So my car is gray and the handle is black, but they didn't put on the estimate, you know, how much it'll cost to paint it and all that. Mm. And uh, so when I went to get it replaced, they still didn't tell me that. Didn't talk to me about any additional charges. They actually ended up charging me more for the part than what was on the estimate. And um, I made some comments on Yelp and, and Google in the uh, spirit of John Matola. <laughs> and they got back to me and they said, we'd love to know more. So I called them and it has been a bigger nightmare dealing with their customer service agent wow. Uh, going back and forth with the shop, um, it's uh, it's still not solved. They have refunded the difference of the car part, but they haven't refunded me for the difference in the estimate for painting the door handle. I'm still waiting on that. I when, think when, we're getting close. When was it that we did that episode? Well, how long ago? <laughs> it was January. Oh, my goodness. So now here it is May. Yeah. You're still dealing with that. Unbelievable. Still dealing with that, I was going to yeah. say I could text to uh, – wow text to our speech to text that for you and you could put it on Yelp, but it sounds like you've already gone that oh, route. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yelp and, and Google reviews. And um, if they keep it up, every Facebook group in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, I can give you a, uh, a pro tip from the guy who likes to like, make people's lives miserable when they don't do what I want them to. <laughs> um, a very easy trick is to call them their customer service, put on a voice and say that you're from whatever local station that does the, you know, like here it's like solve it Hank or whatever, you know, that people bring their problems to, and then they do a news story on it. Mm -hmm. You call saying you're the producer from that show 
whatever that show is, and that researching a story about a door handle that was an I can almost guarantee you they will take care of it or they <laughs> wow. end up on, they think they're going to end up on the news. Wow. wow. Well, the, the, the store manager called me after I talked to customer service and, and told me that it would be $200 to have it uh, painted. And the customer service agent said, well, I'll talk to my manager. I'll get back with you. And when I talked to her a week later, she said, I never said I was going to do anything. And and she was just like all of a sudden defensive and huffy. And I'm like, so if the store manager can't do the estimate right and the customer service people can't solve the problem, how am I supposed to trust your mechanics to touch my car? Oh, boy. Well, I think from the devious mind of of Rich Shaler, you um – you you become you that whoever you're your local guy is. That's right. <laughs> this Rich is has John a pretty Smithman good radio from voice. Local Five News. <laughs> so, Rich, did you watch the Bruins game last night? Uh, you know, I don't watch a lot of hockey, but sadly, I did watch. Yeah, same that here. game. I watched. I watched all the games in this series, um, and uh, boy. Yeah, it was that was, that was rough. just ugly. After what what is like it set a record, right? They set a record for like the most wins in a season, like the big, best regular season ever. Um, and any and that's in the history so of hockey and blew it in the first round of the playoffs. My son um, is a big Bruins fan and he had a, he had his jersey on and we watched the whole game. And at the end of the game, he was really emotional. And I went upstairs and the the, <laughs> the trash can right next to the shower was his jersey. <laughs> I was like, ah, he's, he's learning the ways he's emotional of emotional is an understatement, fan. huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah. I watched the highlights and, and just watching that, like those little 10 minute clips they have on YouTube that that really looked like it was a good nail biter game though I mean it was pretty back and forth and and pretty intense for a while but I'm just gonna say there's a reason Ray Bork left Boston to win a Stanley Cup (laughs) yes they had a brief period after that where they were okay but yeah he uh, last night's game was just tough but the only thing that comes close is obviously living where I live I think it was 2007 the Patriots had the perfect season and then yeah they won every, they only lost one game so. in the entire season, but it was the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Ooh. So I mean Ooh. I don't know. I guess I guess that's probably worse than this Bruins thing. Yeah. But the uh the choke comment was more geared towards my performance tomorrow evening. Uh, a oh, little nervous that's right. that's about right. the uh singing at Fenway. Oh, you got it. That's speaking, gonna be awesome. Speaking of Boston. Hey, the crazy sports. thing is I'll be I'll I'll be performing for more people than Blackmore's Night does. <laughs> Considerably more. <laughs> or more than Deep Purple maybe does. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know. You see some of those that Argentina and the Chile gigs there. Yeah, those are pretty there. big. But yeah. Yeah. Um, t- ties it together with the Boston sports. So we'll have to put a link in the show notes um of your of your performance. Yeah, and yeah. Which, which well, did, which, let's see how it goes yeah. first. <laughs> or I'll edit this out. <laughs> you might have to scrub it out later. You know? I don't know if I even told you guys this, but I got an email like a week ago from the guy that's putting it together. And he's like, um, hey, I completely forgot. Uh, Red Sox are playing the Blue Jays that day. Would you also like to do the Canadian National Anthem? Oh, and oh I, wow. I, I thought about it for a few hours and like everyone I talked to is like, dude, don't be an idiot. Like yeah. you're, 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 you're tempting fate. Like, yeah. like, do you even know the Canadian national anthem? I'm like, I know the first part like, goes over Canada. <laughs> and then after that, not so much. <laughs> it would totally be like that scene in um, naked gun where he gets, a, he pretends to be the opera singer and he doesn't know the words. Yeah. And he's like, 
Run uh, the flags and rockets, and he's getting all. <laughs> uh, I'd be, I'd be like, and Getty Lee and Leaves, <laughs> Labat, Labat Blue. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. The Twelve Days of Christmas is not the Canadian national anthem. <laughs> yeah, I could have. Yeah. Right yeah, just, uh, just watch that uh, Terrence and Phillips South Park episode where they sing it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it is upon us, but before we get there, uh, the Deep Purple Podcast is 100% listener-supported and ad-free. So if you receive some value from our show, please consider giving us some value back and support us. You can do so a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You will get the percussion instrument of your choice, or my choice if you don't let me know, uh, sounded for you when we read your review. You can buy some merch at our Etsy store. You can also become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Uh, all that money goes right back into the show to making the show better, buying albums to review, um, um, uh, getting first class flights for me and John to all of our vacation destinations all goes right back into the show. Um, you can also donate uh, on cash app dollar sign DPPOD or support us on Kofi um, if you want to help support the show. So speaking of our patrons coming in at the executive level, we have the $25 Uncommon Man tier with Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac at the 10 I'm sorry, at the 15 squid tier, we have Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg. At the 10 pound good doctor tier, we have Dr. Jill Brees and Dr. Mike Catan. At the turn it up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Mickel Steen, and Will Porter, PhDPP. At the $10 someone came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. And at the Husoween by 2033 tier, Mr. Fielding Fowler, thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. We couldn't and wouldn't. Actually, we would probably do it without you, but um, uh, we, we wouldn't be as happy because we're so glad to have support from all of you fine, fine folks. Um, speaking of fine folks, you know, uh, something happened uh, just the other day. I think it was yesterday. No, that was Sunday. Two days ago, I went to the uh, mailbox and what did I find? That's right. I found a postcard straight from the edge of Connecticut. So this one has got this. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. My ring light's kind of reflecting in it. Is that Lake Placid? But that's Lake Placid. Yeah. A little um, overhead view of Lake Placid. Um, and uh, it says uh, Olympic Winter Games, Lake Placid 1980. So this says uh, Nate. Now, here's a miracle on ice for you. Signed, Pete. And it says, aerial view of the village showing the Olympic arenas and speed skating oval in the center of the Olympic headquarters at lower right. Um, then there's also, uh, as a bonus, uh, sister number three and sister number two of Peter Gardot si signed it. It says, hi, I'm sister number three, but I'm the best one. And then says, no, I am. No, I am uh, sister number two. So a sister number one must not have been available. I don't know if Pete was in Lake Placid or probably just in his attic and he found this. Um, but thank you for sending that along. I'm going to put it in the growing stack of uh, postcards I have to, to my side here. Uh, one day we're going to have to um, we'll probably have a whole section on the website just devoted to all of our postcards from the edge of Gardot. Thank you, Peter, for sending those along. 
I have, have to, to say that in a card catalog or something. Huh? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, don't say that he's going to send me a card catalog. <laughs> <laughs> he probably has one in that attic. I'm somewhere. sure he does. That's some pretty extreme sibling rivalry when you have to write who's better on a postcard to a complete stranger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I'm sure his sisters are lovely. Um, okay. So. Uh, if you want to check out other like-minded podcasts, make sure to check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com where all those fine shows are listed on all sorts of bands and musical subjects you could ever even consider. Um, check them out for other, some other really great shows. Okay, here we are. The moment of truth, the moment we never thought would happen, the moment that John has been looking forward to the most of all, and that is Blackmore's Night. Can you believe it? Here we are in 1997. Blackmore's Night. Who wants to kick off with? I feel like there's so much to talk about, but when this this whole era, this scene, when you first heard about what Richie was doing, what you thought about it, like when you got this album, if you got this album, what, who wants to kick it off? Uh, one thing I would like to say before we even get into that is, uh, do you want to talk about the uh, one star review your dog left you? Because you kind of left everybody <laughs> oh, hanging on that. that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did gloss over that. So, um, yeah, we so actually we recorded a podcast. Um, what which podcast was it? Oh, it's, I was actually when uh, I was on um, uh, Pot of Thunder, uh, uh, and I recorded my pod Pot of Thunder. Went upstairs. I didn't, I worked the next day, didn't come into the basement. Then the next morning, you know, maybe 36 hours later, I come into the basement. As soon as I opened the door, I was like, whoa, what is going on down here? And I came downstairs and found four deposits that had been made by the dog. Um, over the course of that amount of time, the kids must have left the door to the basement open. I don't know what happened, but one of them was directly in front of my studio desk, just stinking. Luckily, they were all like, Rock solid, didn't leave a mark on the carpet. I just sprayed them with some stuff, and now it smells like roses down here. But, um, yeah, I, I guess she discovered the downstairs and thought this, you know, this nice, beautiful carpeted basement would be a great place to just lay some turds all over the place. So, <laughs> was he trying to give you that barnyard renaissance fair feel? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, it probably smelled way better than anybody in the renaissance would have smelled. <laughs> John paid the dog to pollute the basement so we would never get to this episode. <laughs> he wanted to get out of this episode. <laughs> yeah, don't tell nobody nothing. He like he yeah. he FaceTimed my kids. Hey, leave make sure you leave the door to the basement open. Seventy five percent. Oh my goodness. Yeah, dog poop studios. Here we go. All right. So so who wants to talk about their the the this this rite of passage for a Deep Purple fan finding out about this project and how it came about and all that sort of stuff. Well, I, um, I, I don't want to get in John's way, but because um, <laughs> I, I could just see he's bursting at the seams to, to speak. <laughs> the buttons are about to pop off his shirt as we speak. Uh, for I don't I don't exactly remember when I found out this was happening. I mean, it, it must have been some point after Stranger in Us All. Um, but I don't I don't remember specifically hearing about it. I remember thinking it kind of made sense because even if you think back to Richie said it was in later Deep Purple days, but even if you go back to the to the late '60s when you hear him doing solos live, you hear little inflections of him playing, you know, the the old style finger picking music, and um, I think it's always been there for him. Um, I think it's 
it's it's got to be nice to attack music from a different perspective. I mean, if I am playing drums and I come up with a song idea versus playing a piano or playing my bass, it, it, it's always different because you're coming from it from a completely different angle. So for him to be able to play it on a guitar or an acoustic or a 12 string or a lute or you know any of these other various things that he's playing, um, it probably keeps the writing part somewhat fresher for him which would make it a little bit more exciting. Plus you're dealing with different, you know, different sounds and layerings and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but I also feel in some of the songs that there's still that rock influence, that verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, typical four, four rock setup. Um, but I, I was like, okay, well, I mean, he's certainly earned the right to do whatever he wants to do. We, we really don't have the right to demand or ask anything more of the guy than what he's already given us. So uh, if that one, what makes him happy, do it. All right, Rich. What's your uh, your history with that um, night? Yeah, kind of like Scott. I don't really remember specifically. I mean, going back, you know, you always heard Rich talking about, oh, he was working on the cello, and I, I honestly, I thought that's more what it was going to be, like mm-hmm. him playing the cello, or you know, even further than this album goes. This album is actually, you know, borderline even being real renaissance it's not real renaissance music it's pseudo but um you know and just taking from like the the last few things he did with deep purple and stranger on us all um you know there were little hints of it getting more and more Anya. you know the acoustic at the beginning of that kind of was leaning that way um and some of the things on stranger on us all didn't love stranger on us all um i probably like it more now than i did at the time and i remember just feeling like um embarrassed is a strong word, but a little bit like to play that for my musician friends. Cause it's a little like, you know, the, the, the German, you know, pump your fist kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of cheesy, especially compared when perpendicular came out. Uh, I was just like, yeah, see this, this is what, you know, moving forward sounds like that he's going in a completely different direction. I guess I was sort of happy because it's like, at least there's no comparison to be made. Just go do what makes you happy. And you can hear that it makes them happy. And obviously we'll discuss the songs as we go, but um, you know, I didn't love it. I liked some of it. Didn't, didn't like other parts of it, but um, as more albums came out, there's some stuff I really, really like on a few of the other albums and live they, they deliver live. And you've seen them pretty recently. Yeah, seen them, seen them a bunch of times, actually more times than I thought I had. Um, but my wife enjoys it and I enjoy it. So, um, you know, it's still Richie Blackmore. So still him playing guitar. Yeah. Do they John, do uh, we, any we, any meet and greets after the show? No, no. I mean, I I'm sure if you hung up by that. the back door or something, you could probably ambush them or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, no, they're not doing the money. They're not doing the money grab thing, you know, where you can. You can uh, pay to pay to meet them. But I will say also live as then I guess that's any band. The longer you're together, the better you get. Not even speaking about the other musicians because they really don't don't matter. Um, but their relationship, Candace, they're they're like a comedy team now. man. I mean, I just enjoy what because they're hysterical on stage, like going back and forth, husband and wife stuff. It just makes me laugh. Um you know, and in the beginning, it wasn't so much that she'd be more of like a storyteller, like she's reading. It's like a little kid. She had like this very sing-songy voice. And in between, she'd be like, now we're going to do a song from a long time ago from a band, magical band called Rainbow. Yeah. And you're like, oh, God, come on. Like, 
I'm not sure my eyes are ever going to unroll from the back of my head, but, but she's gotten away from that now. And it's much more, mm. you know, it's much more husband wifey battle. It's, it's actually very fun. Um, and I think that we talked about it. I don't know if it was on one of the shows or not, but I really think people don't get Blackmore at all. Like, no wonder everyone thinks he's such a jerk. He isn't. He's just, he's screwing with you. He just, <laughs> he's bored and he just constantly is trying to create a situation that entertains him. So he just, you know, will cause chaos because it's fun for him to watch people scramble around, you know? So the last time I saw him, he was just picking random songs and like pretending he didn't remember what song was next. He'd pick up one guitar, put down another one. I actually heard somebody like, oh, I, I think he's getting senile. <laughs> no, he's messing with the band. He's messing with you. Like, are you really that dumb? Like, you know, I mean, but but anyway, so, uh, you know, as I said, we'll discuss it on the songs, but that it didn't really have a major impact on me at the time. It just sort of it happened. And I was like, eh, OK, but I, I was so wrapped up in perpendicular and, you know, abandoned at the time. And that was right as I was getting to first meet the band and everything. And so that obviously I was I was team purple more than I was team Blackmore's night. All right, John, what do you remember about this uh, time? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you hear that uh, that uh, uh, Chris Rock grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> that was yeah. Pretty much it. I put on one song and I'm like, nope, and that was pretty much it. So, yeah, yeah I um, I don't even. Uh, I don't even know if I own the C. I must own the CD. Uh, at least I like either that or uh, you might have listened. I don't to my know copy. how I heard. <laughs> yeah, I might have heard your copy, or I don't know if um if uh you know you or Paul had it or something. I heard it somehow, but I just wasn't you know it was uh, not not my cup of tea. So I just didn't explore any further. So I don't know. I don't know anything. It wasn't your flagon of mead. No. Nope. Um, um. I just this this kind of thing just doesn't really do it for me. Like, uh, you know, they're just, um, they're just some genres of music that just turn me off. They just don't. Um, and I mean, regardless of whether it's Richie or anybody, you know, it's just like, um, you know, it's just not really, uh, enjoyable to me. So, uh, maybe, maybe I'll be wrong. Um, you know, when I hear some stuff in there, because like, uh, Rich said, it's still Richie. Um, or Scott, somebody said it, it's still Richie doing his thing. So it's just like, there's got to be some of them in there. I mean, just like our episode a uh, few episodes ago, when we heard him doing his really, really early session work, you know, there are little bits and pieces in there of like who he is. So I'm sure that it's, you know, in here somewhere. So um, we'll see. But I, you know, I kind of checked out after the uh, Stranger in Us All tour where he almost blew my eardrums out <laughs> live. That's about it. Well, you so, know, for for me, I I didn't really give them a chance. I just just hadn't started listening to them yet. And then when um, Winter Carols came out, I'm like, I love Christmas music. Um, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, and, and I love that album. I absolutely love that album. And that really opened me up to, okay, maybe, maybe there is something in here for me. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of the Renaissance period. So that just that time frame doesn't excite me very much, mm -hmm. but I will say I've got a couple of their albums. I don't have this one. I haven't heard this one yet. So, uh, this is going to be a first time listen for me, but really, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I might know a couple songs off of it, but I, I haven't heard the whole album. Um, but the stuff I, I have, like Nature's Light and and a couple of the EPs, I I absolutely adore. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to get into this. Cool. 
Yeah, so I've got yeah, it'll my... be my first time in many years. Yeah, same same here. Um, I've actually I, kind of heard Winter's Carols too, um, Scott, because I was thinking about that when um, kind of exploring uh, Christmas music, and I saw they had an album, and I'm thinking, well, maybe in this context, I'll like Blackmore's Night, and I really still didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you gave it a chance, you know. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as, as I mean, uh, I think of uh, as um, when we were. Uh, talking about uh, Christmas albums, maybe on the Christmas episode, or we're discussing Hughes's Christmas album. It's like uh, you know they can be pretty hit or miss um, if you're, especially if you're doing cover songs, because it's a it's really an easy and cheap way to like to throw something out there, and if it if it sticks, it could be the, a huge uh, uh, hit, and if it doesn't, then it's just another Christmas album, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so this, I, I'm not going to lie. So, you know, when you have a, uh, a time machine, you have a list of things that you'd like to go back. Yeah. I would like to go back to the moment that Frosted Tips Matola first heard Blackmore's Night. <laughs> no, he wasn't Frosted Tips yet at that point. Oh. No, that was a few. That was a few years later, but a, a, a few years before Frosted Tips, I picked up this copy. Me and John were at Sam's uh, in Warwick yeah. together, and. I had heard like the oh Richie's doing this Renaissance music and you're like you know you just didn't know at that point like what's true what's a rumor and then I saw this album and I was like I have to and I remember like we probably had made a few jokes about it oh he's make doing Renaissance music this is crazy so I found I saw this album this is a is a Japanese import at that point I so I think it was the summer and this came out in mm-hmm. April so it would have been um pretty new at that point uh and I've got the little Japanese booklet that came with it here. Um, uh, so I put, I put it on and I, I put, uh, you know, I, it was definitely something very different. Um, we were doing a lot of recording and music writing and stuff at the time. And I remember putting it on and listening to it and thinking this is, you know, such a different, uh, not what I would have expected from Rich. I was expecting it more to more to be in that the way he gets medieval in a rainbow song sort of thing, not actually going straight back to like using those instruments and things. So mm-hmm. it was definitely interesting, but you know, I listened to it a few times, but it, there was so much other stuff going on at the time that I didn't get too, too much more into it, but there's definitely parts of it that I remember very well that I, that, that I think of fondly. Um, but overall, yeah, yeah, I would say the album um, uh, was, was a mixed bag for me for sure. And it's, it's got 16 tracks. It's a very long album. Um, so <laughs> I just saw John, <laughs> which is why we're doing it in two parts. Oh, but thank God. S- some of them are, some of them are short and some of them are instrumental oh, okay. and oh, all that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, uh, and this is, this is the Japanese version. So it's got the bonus bonus track at the end. Um, yeah. So it was definitely an interesting time. I was get, getting into a lot of new music then. And just, I was, I was exploring things I had listened to before that I didn't give enough of a chance and getting back into music. I'd gotten to before listening to new music. So I was just kind of open to buying whatever was out there. And I was working at a job where I had way more disposable income than I needed. So I was just, anytime we could go to the, the record store, I just pick up whatever I could, um, to listen to. So, um, I'm interested to see how it goes. And we've kind of the whole idea behind doing this, we've never had four people on a panel before to, to, to rate an album. Uh, but I think the idea was we wanted to have a broad range of perspectives. Uh, th- those, you know, who listen to the show know John's problem. It's probably not going to be his cup of tea. Um, <laughs> and for me, I, I might be more in the neutral end and then Scott and Rich with their history of it might be a little bit more, um, 
uh, into some of the stuff on the album. So we wanted to kind of get a, a wider range of opinions, but we're not here to trash anything or just praise it all all together. We want to really kind of listen to it. It sounds like most of us are going to be listening to it for first time or third time or fifth time or eighth time, whatever it might be. Um, so get some different perspectives. So some quick lead up to the album. Um, after leaving Deep Purple, uh, he uh, Richie referred to Deep Purple as the monster machine. And he said his kind of idea was, oh, well, I'll just get Rainbow back together. Um, but he says it was kind of an easy get out to say, well, I'm just going to go back to Rainbow because that's what I did last time and kind of discovered pretty quickly that his heart wasn't really in it being Rainbow again. Um, he was working at Longview Farm uh, on the album. And he's going to fly in a professional lyric writer for the album. But he called Candace, who was, um, I guess, on Long Island at that point, and they were in Connecticut. And he said, um, or maybe it was New York. I'm not sure. Oh, no, it was Massachusetts, I think. But she she took the ferry um, across and he said, hey, like, why don't you try writing some lyrics and we'll see what we got. And she said she put down all these verses and got there and gave Richie and Pat Regan, the producer, uh, all the lyrics and Pat Regan just like circled this one, this one, that one. Okay, we got we got verse and a chorus for a song. Um, Richie and Candace had started writing these acoustic songs together, but they pl- played them mostly together at home and had no intention on releasing any of them. Some of them were covers, some of them were originals they had written. Um, but he said he was starting to really enjoy that because there was just no pressure. The pressure of being in a rock band, being on tour, or managers and expectations for album releases. He said all that pressure was off and he was just really having a fun time. Um, he said he was doing these products and, and, and when, when he was doing this project, he was putting together melodies that were similar to what he would do with rainbow. Um, but without it being hard rock and that he felt like he had a lot of faith that the fans would follow him. Um, and while I'm sure a lot did, some didn't somewhat, you know, people are always upset when artists change and do something different. And they obviously accumulated a lot of new fans in the process as well. Um, so Richie said he saw a band in a German castle playing Renaissance music with authentic instruments. And he was watching it. He said, this is it. This is what I want to do. And he said there was this uh, fantastic underground world of Renaissance music. Um, and he said he wanted to do that because he playing in front of these large rock cloud rock crowds was not very meaningful to him. Um, he uh, Candace said she never had any real intention of being the singer or being a singer in this project. She was just kind of saying like in a closet way. She's kind of like like Rich talked about earlier. She was kind of shy on stage and she's really coming to her own um, recently. Uh, but Richie kind of said he liked her voice and he wanted her to, to perform with them. Um, so. He asked her when he met her, when he first met her, he asked her what she could do. And he kind of like has this, this, um, you know, he's a prankster. His pranks now are a little more tame, but he would have this kind of thing when people came by the house, he'd ask them what they could do. And you'd kind of have to perform for him, whether it's a sing a song or play an instrument or juggle or whatever. Um, He asked her what she could do and she said she could sing and he got her to sing. And that's when he really discovered he really liked her voice. Um. Richie says in an interview, there's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people doing what we do. There's probably a good reason for that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of the lead up to the album. The album, core band on the album, really everybody on this uh, doesn't really have any other credits beyond Blackmore's Night in this album. Tom Brown is on cello. A recorder, trumpet, and French horn are Gerald Flashman. Viola and violin is credited to Lady Green. And then Richie plays a lot of stuff. He plays electric guitar, acoustic guitar, bass, mandolin, drum, and tambourine. 
Uh, and Pat Regan does some of the keyboards. And then, of course, Candace Knight does vocals. Uh, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull plays on one song. And Scott Hazel, who I cannot find any instrument, any information about, does backing vocals on Play Minstrel Play. Um, although I did find him on. No, no, I think I did find him on. Um, I think I found him on Facebook. I think he used, he was Richie's guitar tech. Um, oh. I think he must must have been during Rainbow. Um, so again, produced by Pat Regan and Richie Blackmore. Um, and Pat Regan, for those of you who forget, he was a producer that worked with Kiss, Quiet Riot, Weird Al, of course, and he um, was the producer on Stranger in Us All. Um, and with that, we get to what we were talking about earlier. I think it was before the call, but that is. Um, let's see if I can find it here. The album cover. And of course, while I you're looking for that, I, 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 I have to wonder how the process worked to, to completely change to a genre of music that isn't mainstream. Like, how do you figure out what your budget is going to be, what your expected sales are going to be? Um, that really must have been a pretty big undertaking yeah, it's got to be difficult because um, if this was a band that was kind of growing up organically and starting to develop a, a fan base or whatever. But, yeah, you don't really know, right, who's going to of the Richie Blackmore fans, the Deep Purple fans, the Rainbow fans, who's going to come over to this new band? How many new people are there going to be? And obviously you're going to get a lot more attention than you would get if it was the same band without Richie Blackmore in it. Right. But, I mean, how do you even figure out, OK, here's our budget to make the record because – other than saying, well, I think, you know, if I say we'll get 5% of Perfect Strangers initial sales just based on the fact that Richie Blackmore's in the band, and you got to have some kind of starting point to be able to say we can afford to do this. Yeah. Well, I think based on the project, I think they were just like, whatever, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> we'll just do whatever we want to do. We're not going to make so much that we're uh, so many copies that we're going to lose money, but I think right. they just wanted to do something different. Um, all right, so here's the album cover. Um, I think m most people listening probably are fairly familiar with it, but what do you guys think of this album cover? Bland. It uh, reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> okay. I was just, it's just not vibrant, you know? It's, uh, it's very mint green, mm -hmm. uh, which I like, but, it, but it's just kind of like um, a colored pencil drawing. And... Um, yeah, I, I, it's, just, it's just not the vibrant colors. Uh, it doesn't stand out the way I would expect it to. Well, it's because it's a shadow of a moon. That's true. Um, <laughs> no, I, it, it reminds me of something you would see on the wall at a high school. Um, yeah. You know, when they put when they put up all the art projects that the students have done. Mm. Um, that's what this thing. looks like. And uh, it's it's well done. I mean, it would have been one of the better students, but... <laughs> That just it, that's what it screams to me is, um, you know, or some girl doodling it on her uh, notebook at school or something. Yeah. I don't know. It just uh, it doesn't do much for me. I mean, Richie looks good on it. You know, the, the drawing him is pretty good and not bad at Candace. And, you know, if they just done something different with it, maybe. Well, you've yeah, got the yeah. uh, 25th anniversary version behind you and they did some kind of more color with it and it brightens yeah. it up a bit. Mm. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it much better for sure. I was thinking the same thing that Rich was, is that it looked like a looked like a high school art project or like a like a paint by numbers type of thing. Like, oh, let me shade that in. And and then the more I look at it, there was a 
the girl over on the left, was she like holding a machine gun or something? What is that? I think it's a guitar. (laughs) (laughs) She's holding a freaking, like an Uzi or something. A Tommy gun. Hey, Blackmore, you owe me some money, see? Uh, You guys know, I just noticed that the electric leaning against the tree. Yeah. Yeah. His strat, which like is he, yeah, he left where, his strat where it stays for most of the album. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it does uh, it does seem uh, pretty pretty underwhelming. Seems like really um, you know uh, goes along the the theme of a uh, kind of uh, cheap looking album covers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I kind of like it. I like I like the what what they were going for with it. And um, uh, well, yeah, the concept isn't bad. I mean, I, I agree with uh, you know that that. Uh, Candace and Richie are illustrated uh, quite well. Um, I mean, it looks like them. <laughs> it looks like Candace's frock is on fire, though. I'm a little worried about that bird, too, that that board, bird's going to get some toasted wings. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's the album cover. Uh, album cover was done by um, jo- Johanna Peterman, Um uh, also did the artwork for Ghost of a Rose album cover by Blackmore's Night, but I couldn't find many other um, credits from her. And then the photography inside is by Michael Keel, who's mostly associated with Blackmore Night albums as well. So there's kind of this theme of, um, I think, doing what they're doing is kind of they're they're a little more insulated and not working so much with mainstream folks. They're they've got people who don't have a ton of credits and everything doing that, like you said, trying to. You know, maybe in trying to figure out the budget for this album, they thought, well, this is kind of a one off thing. Mm-hmm. We'll just get some friends we know, everything, everyone to do stuff. Maybe the maybe the photos were done just by a somebody by a friend who wasn't looking for any money or anything or they they, they paid just very little and right. uh, just trying to keep it really in the family and not not make a big, big deal about it, not put a ton of marketing behind it. Um, but yeah, that's it. You've got the, um, the lyric sheets inside the album, which kind of had like the medieval tapestries behind them, um, which kind of cool. Like they're a little, they should probably almost be like shaded down a little bit. It's a little hard to read some of the lyrics over them. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got this photo of Richie and Candace, and then you've got the, the full length kind of, uh, you know, with candles in the foreground. And it, oh, it looks like that same tapestry in the background. I just noticed the tapestry mm-hmm. you were seeing in the background of the lyrics. Um, and then you get the CD here, which is a close up of the castle in the background. And then the back cover, which is for some reason what I remember the most when I think of this album is mm-hmm. looking at it in the record store and seeing this background. Like they're just walking along the side of some river. Richie slung his guitar over his shoulder and she's got a walking stick and they're, <laughs> they're on their way to the, to the Renaissance fair. I don't know. I feel like this or one of the other photographs, or even if they created the album cover with a photograph instead of, illustrating it would have been a better album cover yeah like swapping like the back the cover and the front thing. cover or something yeah, yeah like i think yeah. that that would have been a cool album cover instead of because i mean it's pretty much those those are the star players right there i mm-hmm. think that would have been cooler instead of maybe instead of walking during the day that that photo shoot like at at richie's favorite time of day dusk <laughs> uh, i think would have been really moody kind of cool yeah and the lights are most effective then Yes. Sorry, that was a California Jam yeah. reference to build on yours. <laughs> yes. And and how did that work out? <laughs> My joke, not well. No, I meant the, the, the California Jam. For the, for the cameraman, uh, also not well. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if they light, uh, you know, Candace's frock on fire, then pretty much the same as Richie's amps. So. <laughs> no. Probably less explosive, though, if they don't put any mm. D- I just, TNT. I just in wonder it, in all the gigs that they've done with Blackmore's Night, if he's ever smashed a 12 string on stage. <laughs> <laughs> that Not would be impossible. interesting. <laughs> impossible. So anyway, that's the um, that's the album art for you. And uh, before we get into the actual tracks. We have to do something, which is to thank our, oops, what did I do there? Share the wrong thing. Uh, We have to thank our core level patrons and coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader at the $6.99 New Nice Price tier. We have Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. Coming in at the episode $6.66 tier, Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving at the uh, $6.65 Almost Evil tier, Kenny Wymore at the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, Michael Bagford at Carl Helberg. At the 60 Kroner Scandinavian Knights tier, we have Zwapper the Electric Alchemist and Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5.55 What's Going On Here tier, we have Richard Fusey. And at the $5 Moneylender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Elman, Alexi, The Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zern, Cynthia Doobie, and Raf Kaff. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. My man Raf, give him a shout out. My man Raf. on uh, Discord all the time. Yep, he's, mm. good. he's a good man. Hey, the one that I, every time you guys say glaving, that one. Yep. All I can think of is the uh, the professor from The Simpsons. <laughs> glaving. glaving. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Professor Frank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe was, this is was, so me and John have been saying that for years uh, off air. <laughs> yeah. So, but I was like, I've never reached out to Anton and been like, can we go glaving? Uh, let us know. Send us, send us a note. I, if we, I if, guess we'll find out. He'll either say yes or just stop it. <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned that because we've been doing the Jerry, our Jerry Lewis impressions for, um, I, I've been fighting it off since day one, but I'm ready to, to, to brace, break it out. Boy, with the punching and the kicking. <laughs> and, and I love uh, Kenny Wymore's uh, almost evil tear. I've always loved that because he's one of the nicest people I've ever met and yeah. probably the farthest thing from evil. So I always find that uh, ir- ironic and enjoyable. Have you actually met him in person? Not in person, no. Oh, okay. No, but he's, 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 he is a great guy. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I never know. You're at the crossroads of the world there in Las Vegas. You meet all kinds of people. You've met Rich. You met, you've met everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, what, that's one of the great things about living here is that uh, I people come and visit. Now, whether we actually end up getting together when they get here, because yeah. a lot of times what happens is, well, I'm just trying to figure out when we can do it. And I'm waiting for my friends. And, you know, before you know it, they're on their way back home. So uh, a lot of people come out here and I don't get to see them. But uh, it's nice because a lot of bands come here uh, that, that don't necessarily stop in, in other cities and uh, get to see people I wouldn't normally see. So, yeah, it's it, there's some advantages of living here in Vegas. 
I think you'd be the primary attraction if I was there. Uh, oh, not, you. Not, not so into uh, the gambling and stuff. So I feel like. I'll, I'll what take you out a tour. What do you want to do in Vegas? I don't know. See Scott Haskin, I guess. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll take you out a tour. I'll take you out a tour. Scott Haskin. That's all you need right. to see. You know, yeah. Scott Haskin, where's he playing? Yeah, for, forget <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the, the Pornography Heritage Museum and all the other things we have. <laughs> That's people will probably play it off cool, like like they're supposed to know, like oh yeah, you're going to see Scott Haskin, awesome, and they Google like who is this guy? Oh, the guy with a podcast. Okay, <laughs> thought he was like a big entertainer. Right. I thought he was doing a he residency is. at the Bellagio. Yeah. What do you mean he is? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you. He is a yes. big entertainer. <laughs> a residency <laughs> at the Bellagio. Seven. <laughs> I, I counted it recently uh, between the Haskin Cast podcast and Uriah Heep the Magician's podcast. Seven hundred and twenty-two episodes so far. Ooh. 723 wow. with this one. Well, that's not all the guests. That's, not that's even just, your guest spots just those two. That. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. those two. Holy wow, moly. I only got yeah. 719 to go. <laughs> <laughs> Every oh, day you're one closer, Rich. <laughs> all right. It's a moment of truth is upon us. It is time to listen to the first track, which is Shadow of the Moon. Actually, Nate. Uh oh! Before we do that, can <laughs> can I suggest that we play a game? Uh oh! Oh, okay, yes. Called if you were at Richie's house and you had to audition for him, what would your audition be? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, you know, I was actually thinking that when I was reading the interviewer, where I think it was Candace that was saying it. I don't know. I think I'd freeze. I'd be like, I'd feel too intimidated to play like an instrument in front of him. I don't think he'd be sitting there like, oh, you suck. <laughs> I mean, he might be thinking it, but he probably wouldn't. But I don't know. I, I can't juggle. I can't dance. But I mean, I guess I would have to play some sort of instrument because what the heck else can I do? Right. I could just do a two-hour podcast in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. On, on uh, bouffant hairstyles. <laughs> Make him regret his demand. What would you guys do? Hmm. <laughs> I'd probably shake I, a tambourine. That's the only thing that I can. <laughs> that's it. I would, uh, I would um, sing Oh Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I would, uh, I would practice cuffing techniques on Candace. <laughs> I, I would probably sing something off Come Taste the Band. Um <laughs> no, I, I'd like I'd like to think I would do something intelligent, but I'm sure it would probably come out looking like Stewart on Mad TV. So uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably just play some kind of rhythm or something for him. I, I think that's probably my my wheelhouse. Yeah. See if he has a spare tabla laying around or something. Or I just look at him and go, look, I've already paid for at least two or three of these lanterns on your pathway here. <laughs> so I kind of think I'm past the audition part. <laughs> I'd work on a prank with him. I bet he and I could come up with something. Oh yeah, the two evil. of you together would be bad news. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually a good idea. I, I don't know if you could if you could top what he did to Tony Ashton. I think that you're uh, well, and it, and it turned out it didn't actually happen to Tony Ashton, but that's who he had set up. Uh, if you if you could beat that prank, your goal. What, what was that one? That's the one where they hollowed out the floor underneath the bed and put and a speaker, speaker in it. Oh table. yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. did the, the haunted ghost sound. <laughs> Didn't he do it to Glenn that's Hughes he, or that's something? That's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I, think, I don't know um, if he did it to Glenn, but I, I know. There, if Rich got there before we did, I just wouldn't go. <laughs> he'd, <laughs> yeah. he'd come up with something. I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be any part of this. <laughs> Probably so. All right. Yeah. So here we go. John, they've, they've, they've put it off long enough. 
Here we go. The opening track of Shadow of the Moon, the titular Shadow of the Moon. It's like, is it like a harpsichord or? I'm thinking or it was a one sitar. Those, a, um, that's, that's more percussive. It's like, a, what do they call it? Like a. Hammer dulcimer. Dulcimer, thank you. Mm. That's the one thing is I don't know that much about the instruments. Dulcimer's not listed in the thing, but that's got to be it. And this one is an original by Blackmore and Knight. It's mixed really nicely. Yeah, it's nice to crystal it's clear on guitar. And I feel like listening to this, I could, I could see it not being difficult to turn this into a rainbow song. Mm-hmm. You know, up the tempo a little bit, switch to electric instruments, but like melodically and just kind of what they're going for. Right. Throw Jolene Turner in there. Yeah, just a little JLT action. <laughs> but honestly, that's not too far off of something like Rainbow Eyes or something yeah. like that. If mm. you just different lyrics, different, you know, obviously Ronnie singing it. Yeah, I could I could hear it, Ronnie, more than JLT because I I'm just not picturing legs over easy in this song. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can. <laughs> Tights over easy. <laughs> of course you can. Tights over easy. <laughs> I hope she never listens to this podcast. No, she'll she'll just repost it, but change some of the punctuation. <laughs> Knock hey, on the door with a restraining she, order. Yeah, she. <laughs> Well, the great thing is, Rich, you could tell her how to file it. Well, that was a good joke, John. I'm sorry. It took a second to land on my... <laughs> that was good. I was like, oh, well, I tried. I don't know if how dynamic I'm going to be on this episode, so... Well, we, we love you, Candace. We're, 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 just a, we're just a couple of knuckleheads who have fun and listen to anything related to Deep Purple, so... I I will say I have talked to Candace several times over the last few years, and Mm -hmm. she's always been very, very sweet and pleasant. Um, I've been on a couple of her live Instagram uh, feeds while she's been out uh, out and about. Really, really sweet person. I've really enjoyed our conversations. Her when she does an interview with her and Richie, it's like Rich said earlier. It's like a comedy show. It's so funny. That's the way they interact with each other, and Mm -hmm. so interesting. She comes across as like such a nice sweet person that is like obviously has like loves Richie but like is also like has to reel him in and then deal with what is you know his temperament like not temperament but the way he's uh, joking with people that may not Mm -hmm. be getting the jokes so she's like a really good go between Um, and yeah I I really have a lot of respect for her well I don't know like my wife (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she's dealing with the same thing your wife is dealing with. <laughs> John's seen it in action. I, I have. 
I remember when they did their uh, live cast shortly after COVID started, they were uh, sitting on their staircase. And I don't know how she how she does it, where she's reading the chat and she's also singing and, and then they're picking out <laughs> songs. I mean, it's just amazing because I'm watching the chat and I can't keep up with it. And I'm just sitting there watching it. Um, but I, I remember Hagen does. But she like she offered to get Richie a beer and then he's like, no, I'll get it. And she's like, no, I'll get it. And I couldn't tell if they were having an argument or if it was a bit (laughs) like she's really sick and tired of waiting on him hand and foot or if that was comedy. Like I just couldn't tell. It's a it's a it's always a thin line between husband and wife (laughs) and comedy and fight (laughs) and murder. Yeah, and murder. So Scott, when you've spoken to her, has she ever mentioned me? Or <laughs> um, I, I think she's she's kind of afraid to let that cat out of the bag. You know, she's like she yeah, wants to keep you for herself. Yeah, it's probably best that way. Yeah, that last little progression that we heard at the beginning uh, in the background—it's not—it it, doesn't—it sounds smooth like strings, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. But it almost has a bit of a western feel to it, like it would be played on a slide guitar. Uh, if if the song were in that style and I could hear uh, like some really low male voices like you hear in some of the old uh, like mm-hmm. Western plane songs that yeah, could really like drumming, work with like, that style too. Like, like this, like, yeah. Kind of, yeah. And I, I feel like there's also this part where it's like, where it sounds like it's a, it's a strummed, distorted electric, mm-hmm. um, like off in it the background, be. but it, it works, it works really well. It's whatever it is, those- it's layered very nicely. I thought the male voice is more like uh, monks. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? exactly. Mm. Like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, like a more of a Gregorian. Druids or. Yeah. Um, all right. So who wants to kick off the rankings? John. <laughs> Rich has spoken. He, everybody wants to know. John's all right. Gonna, set the bar, John. Set the bar, John. All right, let me. Uh, I might have to fiddle just... around with the spreadsheet to accommodate for the new guests, so I might make some changes while we're working on it. Oh yeah, yeah. actually, extra actually fumbling may be necessary. Yeah, I can't. Uh, that, that, that won't mess them up. Oh no! no. <laughs> Is this really <laughs> the first time it's been a four panel, uh, four person panel for, for a review show? For a review, I think yeah. so yeah, no for panel. a review, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna give this one. Uh, and give this one a two. All right. That's, that's pretty much, it's not, it's not bad. Um, I don't find it objectionable. I mean, it's, um, it's just, it's not, um, it's not interesting, you know, um, uh, to me, um, like what I, what I hear is, is just like, I feel like all the Blackmore's Night stuff that I've heard sounds like it has this sound to it. And I mean, it's, it's well, I feel like it's well produced, like it doesn't, it's not recorded badly. It's just, it, it sounds like, it sounds like this kind of soundtrack that you hear when you walk into like, uh, you, you're like in Salem or something like that. And you go into one of these shops that has like crystals and wind chimes and shit. And the CD is on in the background. And it's just this kind of nondescript music that, you know, is playing in the background like that. And it's just like, Ooh, witchcraft or something. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's just. No, I, and I don't think that's a mistake, you know. That's, <laughs> kinda, that's, that's, that's the, exactly the kind of music oh, yeah, that they play. <laughs> that's exactly yeah, like, what they were trying to achieve. Exactly, and that's just not appealing to me. But yeah. that being said, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't stink. It's just like, um, I just I don't like it. Um, it, it, or just it's I don't like it. Is in terms of it's just not interesting. 
Do you think that's so, that's the style of the genre, though, that it's it's just kind of got that mellow sound to it, a little bit of just that sort of gentle swaying, almost sung by a fairy princess type vocal and yeah. just like a lot of picking and stuff in the background? I, I, I kind of think that's what Renaissance music is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it appeals to a lot of people. But, you know, for like John's particular taste, that's, uh, you know, that that's not what he's usually looking for. In, in right. The, in music. And it's the same way that, that, like, that. Um, you know, like um, uh, I'm trying to think of um, just another another genre um, is um, is like country music is just not appealing to me. Um, I mean, mo- most types. I mean, I haven't heard like the maybe the hardcore classic country, maybe more like pop country. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say all just kind of, you know, it has that it has that kind of sound or that feel to it that just isn't appealing to me. So I don't listen to it. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe one day when when Renaissance music crosses with pop like country did, (laughs) it'll be a little bit better. Maybe. I think that would be even worse for John. (laughs) 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 All right. Scott, Rich? I was just going to say that the stuff that they do that varies from this part, you know, the the, like you were just saying, the picking guitar and the, the fairy tale voice is the stuff I like better. This stuff is, it's okay, but it all just sort of blends together. Um, I did like hearing Richie play those little flourishes during the lines. I mean, they're just, they're simple enough, but that's the stuff I like when Richie does, you know, plays even with Deep Purple or whoever else. Um, So I I liked that part of it. And I remember thinking that when I heard the song that like, oh, wow, it's good to hear him play that kind of stuff. Um, But I was really hoping for a guitar solo in the middle, which obviously we didn't get. Um, because it went past two minutes thirty seconds without us hearing it. <laughs> or what is it? Is it two minutes three or is it three thirty? Um, so but anyway, around there. Yeah. I would give this. I'm I'm on the fence, and this is the first time I'm giving a rating or being allowed to give a rating. And after all the crap I've given you guys, I have to do this very carefully. Oh boy, we're gonna it's gonna come back to bite you. I know it is. It is. I'm gonna go two point five because that is average. Mm-hmm. That is exactly average. Just it's it's fine. It's it's a fine song. There, I would rather listen to that than a lot of other stuff from other any rap song any day of the week. Most country, um, any opera, but um, yeah, not a lot off the rest of the Deep Purple catalog. Hmm. Uh, you might want to mark this time down because at some point you're going to get a complaint email from Rich about his own rating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a three. I think it's got a really nice warm tone to it. I think it really exemplifies what this kind of music is. Really gentle and just kind of swaying in the breeze. I don't think it's necessarily music that's really meant for you to just sit down and focus on it as much as it is to be more of an atmosphere to create, you know, the mood. Um, John, you mentioned like walking into a crystal shop. I I interviewed a band from Canada called Mythos. And they're a uh, they're considered kind of new age world beat kind of band and uh, something I love. But I first heard them walking into a new age store. They used to have these displays where they would have, you know, maybe 16 albums and uh, you would just pick which one you wanted to hear. And you could get a sample of it to decide if you wanted to buy the CD for sale there. This is exactly the kind of music that they would have had. Exactly. So you hit it directly on the head. Uh, mm-hmm. But I like this. I love the gentleness in Candace's voice. I love the way she sings. Uh, I think the music was nice and warm. I could hear so much potential in so many different things you could do with it. 
Um, but uh, for what it is, yeah, I think I think it's pretty good. I, I'll go with three. All right. Well, hold on to your four-cornered hats or three-cornered hats, but I'm going to give this one a four. Wow. Um, and I've always just really – and t- going to what what Rich said earlier, I, I tend to gravitate towards the things that – where they they stray a little bit from that Renaissance thing. And, and I, I personally view this song as being one of them. This is the first thing I ever heard by Blackmore's Night like probably many, many people, um, the first song I ever heard by them. And I remember hearing this song and thinking, wow, this is going to be a really, really cool album because um, I really, really dug what they were doing with the song. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm going with. it. I, I really do like the song a lot. Nice. I like the melody. I, I, I like the, you know, Richie's kind of playing in the background where, like you said, there's no solo, but he's throwing in all these. He's kind of sort of soloing throughout the whole song, but not in a flashy way. Just kind of that's it works, blends really well with the uh, music that way. And and honestly, especially in their later stuff, that kind of is Richie's style now where he just kind of solos through everything now. Yep. Why not? Yeah, he got, he's got a band behind him playing all the stuff, and he can just kind of do whatever he wants. And mm-hmm. you know, all the all the great, you know, that's what BB King did. He wasn't sitting there playing chords. That's for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can I can pay somebody to do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play solos with this entire time sitting down, and then for the last song, I'm gonna get up, and the crowd's gonna go wild. I'm gonna walk around a little bit, and I mean, why? Mm-hmm. There why you not? go. Having uh, having not heard this for quite some time, I can now say that her voice has gotten um, exponentially better. Mm-hmm. I think it's stronger needed. too. Like she, well, she that's was... it. Stronger. I mean, it's very kind of quiet and wispy on mm-hmm. this. She has more power. I'm sure that comes with the confidence too. And just yeah. singing more. And it's like any muscle, the more you work it, the stronger it gets. But um, it, and you'll hear it, I guess. <laughs> and then when we do the rest of the 15 albums, um, <laughs> by, but yeah, she, by 2050, when we finish that, yeah. she, um, she definitely, uh, has, has gotten better. I am better is the only term I can use. I mean, it's because it's stronger. It's because it's not that this is bad. I just, I think it, it comes across better. Yeah, it's like comparing Richie's playing on the tracks we were listening to a few weeks ago versus, say, in rock. You yeah. know, it's like yeah, she, she got more yeah. confident, and you know, she's got she's always had this very soft and like angelic sounding voice. But yeah, mm-hmm. she's she gets like a little like I think it's all in the confidence too. Just not you know if, you know this is probably the first time she was in a recording studio recording anything. Well, you know, she did a little bit with Rainbow and stuff. She did some stage stuff, but it was like background. So this was like her first like major like. I'm the I'm the vocal focal point of the song. So that's, you know, that's got to be intimidating to be doing that, even if he's your boyfriend or fiance or whatever they were at that point um, to be doing it with such a you know legend like this. It's got to be fairly intimidating. So I give well, a lot well, of credit knowing for that. that a lot of people are going to hear you mm-hmm. in your performance just because of who you're recording with. It's going to get X amount of attention. Yeah. And but I think you'll find if you if you sing the American National Anthem You'll get the confidence to sing the Canadian one. <laughs> yes. That's all the time you'll need. That's right. But but you also just have to give somebody like her credit, whether, you know, think of people like her, Steve Morse, uh, uh, Graham Bonnet, you know, go go down the list of uh, Tommy Bolin, anybody replacing somebody in their, in their eyes or doing something with someone creatively that's not known for that. 
it takes a lot of guts and you're going to get so much shit. I mean, it would be 10 times worse if she did, if, if this came album came out this year with the way that social media is and all this toxicity oh, yeah. and people and, and fans just being so mean and cruel. Like, look at what poor Ronnie Romero had to deal with, on, you know, just because whatever people just wanted to shit on him for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's one thing to not like something, but the, the degrees and the links that people go to, to voice that is, is tough. And um, yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of courage to do that and put yourself well, out there. Would we, would we have still been on dial up internet when this came out? Um, probably. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, thinking but about yeah, the time was. frame, yeah, for sure. It would be a whole different thing if this started today. I didn't even have a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I did either. Yeah. I think uh, I had I one until like Bieber. 2000. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had my pager called myself a lot. <laughs> I had to check it and make sure it worked. Cause no one else was calling me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's hit the next track. Uh, the next song is called The Clock Ticks On. This is um, composed by, and I'm definitely probably not going to get this right, uh, Tileman Susato, a Renaissance composer. Um, you know you know they're old when they don't even know exactly when they were born. Sometime between 1510 and 1515 <laughs> um, uh, composed this song. Um, so here we go. This is The Clock Ticks On. That sounds like John's intro. <laughs> Look at John. <laughs> oh my God, it sounds like the friggin' Princess Bride. Yeah, it does, right? Wait, this really sounds like proper English. You know, uh, like if you were to go to a castle and you're pulling up in your carriage, this would be what the people outside would be playing yeah. to welcome you in. Your Princess Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, I love that movie. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. So I don't Never know why I don't it. like the music. Uh, it's I don't know. I, well, I, I think it's about I, context, too. Or, you know, I actually yeah. listened to the Princess Bride soundtrack a lot. <laughs> oh. I had the I soundtrack. Feel like, uh, yeah, we should watch it, Rich. I think you'd like it. I have not seen that in years. I could be way off, though. It's one of those where it's like you'll either really like it or you just you won't. And I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> I, I can't imagine seeing it for the first time now, you know, but. Oh, yeah. So this one's credited to. Like I said, Tileman, Susato, but Blackmore and Knight as well. So Blackmore is going to add his own stuff and Knight is, I'm assuming, writing the lyrics. Hmm. It's kind of hard to imagine this just as an instrumental. It's, it, it seems like an odd thing that it would have lyrics, though, from the 1500s. Yeah. Or at least these lyrics. It'd be using like a bunch of words that don't exist anymore. <laughs> It'd be like Shakespeare. Like what is this? Well, and, and it may, it might have needed like some kind of reinterpretation just because of the language. Yeah. Yep. So Candace said that they have uh, what she calls a Blackmore-izing machine when they hear an old song and they put them through this machine and it comes out as something different. So I am not familiar with the original arrangement, but yeah. Because I don't know how many trills they used to play back in the 1500s, but I've heard Richie do at least five of them already. 
think the original lyrics were about the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> I love how crystal clear the guitars sound on this on this recording. I mean, they really got it. Did a great job capturing the instruments. I'm just having fun watching John's arm keep reaching forward like he could hit the skip button, but he can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm not uh, giving him admin privileges on this episode. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Just 13 and a half more songs to go, John. (laughs) Oh, God. This one actually isn't too bad. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone would agree that it's all very well done. It's really just a matter of what's your personal taste. Like, it's not like you're like, oh, my God, they're totally phoning it in with this guitar playing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to criticize on the musicianship level. It's just... It comes down to taste, yeah. Is this your cup of tea from... from Especially if you're a fan of his hard rock stuff. And for some people, right. it very much is. And for some, it isn't. And there's some who probably say, I got them to him from this. I've checked out Deep Purple. They're okay, but I'd rather right. listen to this. Mm-hmm. The horns at the beginning of this reminded me of... Uh, the horns... Uh, was it Uncommon Man or... Yeah, Uncommon yeah, Man. Yeah, yeah, something, right? It's, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, it's not an un, it's not um it, it's very similar the patch that they're using. Mm. Yeah. And I have to say she really has the look to match this kind of music. Like she looks like a princess. Every, every time I've ever seen her, even if she's in just, like, regular clothes, like, she just looks like she walked out of a Disney movie. Yep. Living the lifestyle. Well, they do own a castle. It's true. I tried to talk John into hunting, hunting them down on the way to Jersey. Just stop by their house, yes. knock on the door. Hey! He did not. <laughs> How's it going? Richie! He's like, I know who you I'm, are. I'm sure they'd be thrilled with that. <laughs> That'd be great if, like... Yeah, hey, uh, from Village Lantern, I'm here to uh, recandle the lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> recandle? <laughs> Your regular beeswax guy wasn't available, so uh, I'm here. <laughs> Uh, oh boy! That's, oh. How you, that's how you know you're an Italian. You, you just have like a very like niche type of like uh, you, you know the uh, you know the wicks that you make for those candles. It's that's my business. That's, my, that's what I do. <laughs> hey, are you selling wicks on this part of Long Island? <laughs> you know this is my yeah, territory. Just, not the beeswax, just the wick, just the wick. That's mine. That's Sorry, I, I do that. Me, uh... Want me to shine your knocker while I'm here? That is, <laughs> that is um, that is how it was for me working in food service in New Jersey. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Very uh, a lot of goombas, and you call you call one of them, and they're like, "Oh, that's my cousin. Uh, whatever his territory, he'll help you out. I'll give you his number." It's like, really, you can't <laughs> sell in this area, and then you're like, "Oh, I get it." So it was like Fat Tony on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's unbelievable. I I thought one at one point I thought I was gonna get murdered because I was dealing with these trash hauling guys. 
And, you know, if you've ever seen The Sopranos. But I was on on the the bottom of this loading dock under a mall in New Jersey, you know, late, kind of late at night. It's it's dark under there anyway. And these I'm trying to set up a trash hauling for this new business. And these two groupas come out in these like velour tracksuits. Hey, oh, so you want to do? Oh, yeah, this uh, this loading dock is kind of at a precarious angle. I'm gonna have to get a shorter bed on my truck and da da da. And I'm like, if I if I like don't agree to these guys' terms, I'm gonna be in that dumpster, and they're never gonna see me again. So I was like, I was like, what was that? Ninety thousand dollars a month sounds great, guys. <laughs> Where do I sign? <laughs> Yikes! All right, the clock ticks on, John. You want to kick it off again, or do we want to? It ticks on for thee. <laughs> me, a.k.a. me. Um, you know, this one, um, this one, actually, I didn't, um, I didn't think it was too bad. I heard some, uh, I heard some good, some, um, some cool stuff in there. I'll give it, um, whoops, I'll give it, uh, I'll give it a three. All right. Yeah, I, I thought it was, um. I thought it was a little a little different. The the vocals sounded a little more natural. Um, there was some there was some uh, some guitar parts that I enjoyed by uh, Richie in there. I can't can't really pick them out because it wasn't like a it wasn't like part of the chorus or anything like that. But there's just some uh, it was just well produced. I, I just like the whole album. I picked out some uh, or how, how I assume the whole album is produced is um you know just picked out some. Uh, some nice uh, work from Richie, which I think like if he's, if he's doing acoustic through most of this, I mean, we all know what a great acoustic player he is as well. So I'm not surprised. All right. Rich Scott. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I would have gone with a four, but I really hated that brassy intro. So I'm going to, because of that, I'm going to drop it down to a 3.5, but I really enjoyed the rest of the song. Uh, if the intro had just gone once, I probably would have been okay with it, but it was, it was kind of dragged out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of the song was fantastic. So yeah, 3.5. All right, Rich. Um. I would have absolutely hit the skip button the minute I heard that brass sound. So I would never would hear the rest of the song. So, <laughs> I mean, it was okay. It didn't really do anything for me. Um, but that the beginning just took me right out of it. So I would uh, probably give it another 2.5. It was just fine. It was average. All right. I will uh, give this one a three as well. Um, definitely share the sentiments with that that brass sound. We've talked about the uncommon man patch before, and I um, synth horns are tough for me. Um, very rarely have I heard them done well, and sometimes you find out they were real horns, and maybe they just weren't mic'd up well. <laughs> Who knows? But I mean, you, you could tell like it sounds like that little lead trumpet, or for I think it was a trumpet, sounded real, but the stuff behind it didn't. And I, I just always feel like. If you're in a situation like this, like, why wouldn't you just get, you know, you could probably hire a little three piece brass band for four hundred dollars to come in and give them some sheet music and do it. It feels like it would it would be a little more authentic if you did it that way rather than through the keyboards or, if you know, it sounds like keyboards. It's like, oh, we put this keyboard here as a placeholder for the demo and we'll later go on to record real horn. So that would be my my take. Yeah. Okay, next track up is a Candace Knight and Mr. Blackmore original. It's called Be Mine Tonight. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> oh, Rich is swaying over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're just listening to the audio version, Rich definitely understands the swing of a waltz. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She, her voice layers very nicely, too. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like almost like a, um, well, it doesn't sound like it, but it has like the effect of like being like a keyboard pad. Right, yeah. It's like, she doesn't use like vibrato. She's just very, like, if you looked at her her vocal singing in like uh, an auto-tune program, it'd just be a straight line. She's so good at keeping it dead, dead on and dead straight. Yeah, very, very smooth. Beatles-esque little descending pattern there. Hmm. Well, that that raises an interesting question. I wonder what the result would be if Paul McCartney and Richie Blackmore tried to write a song together. <laughs> that was a great solo by Richie. That was a great solo. Yeah, I like that. I'm just trying to imagine Paul McCartney and Rich even being in the same room, never mind writing a song together. <laughs> you know, it's really cool I, I, what you're doing with the guitars. I don't know if they've ever met. Yeah, who knows? We met um, George Harrison under mm-hmm. the name of... Uh, that's true. What was his name? Arnold Grove. Oh, that's right, <laughs> Arnold yeah. Arnold Grove. <laughs> Arnold Grove. Ooh. This is a short song. That's got that going for it. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really crazy thing you did with that guitar. (laughs) Well, I know the song would have a good bass line anyway. I really like the thing you did when you when you guys did help. That was really cool. Like, yeah, it was (laughs) fifty three years ago. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, John. What do you think about me mine tonight? Hmm. You know, I'll I'll um I'll give it a three. Um, I really um I like Richie's guitar work in it. I thought he did a, a great solo. There was some uh, there was some hints of uh, Richie in there, the Richie that we know um, is playing. And um, yeah, it's um I think that a lot of the of uh, Candace's voice, you know, you guys were talking about it, and it does have that. I think I've kind of hit on what I dislike about it because it's a she's not a bad singer. It's just not it's not what I like to hear. I think it's that very kind of like, uh, there's really no dynamics in terms of like, uh, I think you were saying like vibrato or it sounds like a keyboard Mm -hmm. patch. It almost sounds like very um, um, like processed. Mm. You know what I mean? But not processed like it has effects on it, but it's like, is she like, she's such a good singer that it almost sounds like it's fake. Mm. If that makes any sense. Um, I know what you're saying. But it's it's very smooth. She has a very smooth kind of uh, tone or whatever, and it's almost like too smooth. It's like there's no there's no imperfections in it. There's no um, yeah. 
yeah, like a, like a raw passion, I guess you could say. She doesn't um, bend notes at all, and she doesn't uh, really use a lot of inflection. Right, it's right. Just, like Nate was saying, it's just very a very flat delivery. It's great because she stays perfectly in pitch and key, but yeah, not a lot of emotion behind it. Yeah, yeah like to, yeah, exactly. I, I think John is yeah. John's a big. Fan of like somebody with like some snarl or some grit and gravel in their voice, and you're just not yes. going to get that from from her. Yeah, but um, but that maybe if she said, smoked for 25 years, you know, John would. Uh, <laughs> or if John, yeah. John would be like, oh, this is great. <laughs> if you get Glenn you just, Hughes guesting on a song or two, and he just brings that you know grit that he's got into a, a song, but I think that part might be part of what you don't like about this kind of music, John, is that there there's really no. Um, moments like that where you really feel something that's happening in the song. These are just like stories being told around a campfire. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Which is, um, I mean, if, if she was smoking for 25 years, she wind up rolling up in here. It sounded like Lemmy singing these songs and then it would be. <laughs> that that wouldn't work either. Okay. So maybe she'd have to smoke for like 10 years. <laughs> you have to find a happy medium. <laughs> or just, you know, gar- gargle, yeah. some, gargle some the glass and then she'd be ready in about 10 minutes. I would like to put forward that I believe she's been smoking for 25 years. hey oh hey but anyway, I think my my favorite part of this is probably like Richie's guitar because he had a he had a solo in it and the solo was really good. Mm-hmm. So, all right, that's what elevated it for me a little bit. Rich, what do you think? Uh, see, this is exactly what I was worried about. I backed myself into a corner. Um, <laughs> Don't overthink it. Because <laughs> I, sh- I, I should have I should have given the other two a two, but that would seems a little harsh because this one is slightly better. But I really don't feel like it deserves a three, but I did like the guitar solo and it was, yeah, all right, I'll give it a three. All right. Just to end everybody's pain. Wow. <laughs> Scott, um, well, my, my pain is ended. Um, I'm going to go with a four. I think uh, it had a really great feel to it. I, I really like the flow of the song. Um, you know, uh, I could be wrong, but I think they're layering in a synth pad with Candace. I think she's doing a couple of overdubs to get it predominantly voiced, but I think they're putting a pad in there. So if there are any little imperfections in her voice, the pad could be burying those a little bit. Could but be. when I listen to the very end and you hear that pad fade out, I think that's what's giving her voice some of that thickness. Hmm. Hmm. Quite possible. Um, I will give this one a 3.5. I really like it. Um, I like a song, too, that doesn't overstay its welcome. You know, there's obviously songs that are long, and I love them. And if you had tried to stretch this into a five-minute song, it might have been repetitive, but I think it was perfect. They got in, they got out. It's always funny when you've got a song that's half the length of the previous two songs, yet it manages to fit in a guitar solo where the other two didn't really have them. Um, (laughs) But I really like that solo. You know, like, I... I th- I think it's a melodically great guitar solo, um, uh, good composition. Love the layering of the vocals, and it's like the only percussion you have. I think is just tambourine, like, mm-hmm. just hitting that every um, uh, once per bar or whatever they're doing. But um, yeah, I th- I, th- I think it's a it's a really good track. Um, that brings us to our next track, which is "Play Minstrel Play." This is a traditional by. Pierre Atteon, Atteon, Atteon. I don't know if you Atteon. know that. 
Where's he from? He's from Paris. Okay. <laughs> no, that's more like New Orleans. It's like Louisiana. You gotta, you gotta talk with your tongue in the back of your throat. That's how you do the French accent. Pierre. You almost have to have the back of your tongue against your throat yeah, to Pierre get it to work. Atagnon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was born sometime in the late 1400s um, and died sometime in the mid 1500s. Uh, music publisher in Paris. Um, so this is a traditional that has obviously got Blackmore and Night credits added to it. This one has Ian Anderson on uh, guest flute. And if I ever hear Ian Anderson on flute, I want to hear him going like, doo, 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 yeah, woo, 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 and he does that in, in between. That's a, I don't think we're going to hear that on this one. Um, and then that Scott Hazelfellow, which we, we figured out is uh, uh, Richie's guitar tech. Um yeah, and this is the uh, Richie says about this one. This is the first time uh, that they uh, played together, uh, sort of. He sent the tape to Ian Anderson. He recorded his part, sent it back, and that was it. Ian said he had. I'm sorry, Richie said he had admired Ian for 25 years prior to this, and that he's a big fan of his music. So, yep. here we go. Play minstrel play. I feel like I'm remembering this album a lot better than I thought I would. I feel like any of these songs could be on like the welcome screen of a Dungeons and Dragons game or, you know, like when you're when you're going and picking out your weapons. (laughs) Yep. Equip your halberd. Scott Hazel has a good voice in the background there. Yeah, see, those are the kind of vocals I was thinking of on the first song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was on the first song, too, and uncredited. I don't know. Could be. How do you guys feel about um, Jethro Tull? Well, I mm. normally hate the mm. flute. I, I just hate that oh, sound. Oh, that's right. You've said that before. Yeah. I do. But this is very nice. It's, it's it's mixed in well. There's just certain frequencies that are very ear-piercing to me. And um, it's it's not an instrument that's normally wix, mixed in well, which is kind of the way I feel about that brass opening. Um, but mm. I think he's playing very nicely here. Very tasteful. I mean, um, I think a kazoo would have been better, but <laughs> the flute's working nicely. <laughs> Set um, you know, I actually... <laughs> I, I actually went uh, went through a pretty heavy Jethro Tull stage nice. in my teens. Um, liked him quite a bit. And I've gone back more recently, listened to some of the deeper cuts, and I actually like it, still like it. So yeah. um, I was interested to hear this, but I thought he was kind of wasted on the song. Mm. Yeah, so far, he's unless not- he's got a solo that I can't remember, but... You think yeah, he's not dominating it or showing off. He's just playing along with it. And if this was a Jethro Tull song, he'd be thrown in. Yeah. <laughs> I 
know, hearing Richie and Ian play together and sync like that is pretty cool. Yeah, and they weren't, but they weren't yeah. physically playing together, which is, yeah, just shows how technically good these guys are. So Rich, Rich is going to change it from his yeah. wasted on the first half of the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some pretty good dynamics here. Yeah, this is great. Second half of the song should have been its own song. Yeah. That's that oh, would be like nice one ending. of those rainbow songs where we're like, whoa, what an ending! <laughs> if that's <laughs> right. like the guitar doing that, uh, but mm. still, what an ending! That's just uh, um, not what you thought you were getting set up for, right? So, no, not at all. John, minstrel John, uh, what what give thee what, thy? What are you going to scribe down with your quill <laughs> as a numerical representation of this song? I give it a triad of <laughs> numbers, <or> something <laughs> of ones, a triad of ones, of ones. I give it a triad of ones. Now fetch me my mead, young lad. He has he has um, ranked it thrice. Thank you. I've, yes, I've ranked it thrice, <laughs> not twice, but thrice. Before I feel uh, that this is all right, I'm a, I'm gonna stop. He's um, done. He's done. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't keep it up. Um, yeah, so um, this this was um, I thought this was pretty pretty good. I mean, it was like um, I, I really think like that that second half of the song is kind of what I was talking about. Was there seemed to be some some tension, some dynamics there? It was really it was really cool. Um, and I mean, I when we were talking about Jethro Tull earlier, I um, I like Rich kind of went through a uh, a Jethro Tull phase. Um, not heavy, but it was. Um, I feel like people mention them. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot about them because I would hear them on the radio, classic rock, you know, you hear Aqualung and you know, the, some of the, um, you know, more popular songs, but I think I might've gotten like a the greatest hits or something at one point. I thought that it was really cool to put on when, you know, I was in that, you know, um, in that mood because they had that kind of early, like late sixties, early seventies kind of rock sound down. So they were, you know, they were cool for a little while. And I know that they were kind of in vogue, for a little while or re, you know, there was like a re, uh, like a resurgence, you know, for them for a little bit, but I've forgotten about them for quite a while, but, um, you could actually, like, I could tell, like, even after not hearing them for all these years that that was him on flute. And I, I don't know if it's because you've said so or whatever, but it's like, he, he's got a pretty distinct playing style, uh, kind of like Richie. And I think it's cool to hear the two of them on a track because you're like, wow, the guy from Jethro Tull and the guy from Deep Purple playing together. That's pretty neat. Um, and I mean, it came out really well too. So, um, the rest of the song, like the first half was, uh, just kind of, um, was okay. You know, it was uh, just like everything else, but that second half right to the ending was, uh, was pretty good. All right, Rich. Um, <clears throat> well, I did not like the first half of the song much at all. I would probably give that a two. Uh, but I really liked the second half of the song uh, for all the same reasons John just said. Uh, you know, there's some dynamics. There's, I mean, them playing that well together, um, separated, 
you know, went to different studios is beyond impressive. And it was good to hear. I obviously couldn't get past the first part of the song, so I forgot that there was that second part of the song uh, where Ian Anderson does some of his signature stuff, the, you know, the, the, the hard breath into the flute, you know, hitting the note, using it as a percussive kind of tool um, mm-hmm. along with the flute. So I, I really enjoyed that second half. Probably would give the second half a four, but I'll average it out and I guess give it a three. Split the difference. All right, Scott. Fair enough. Um, I really like the whole thing, actually. Um, I'm going to give it four quills because I think uh, I think the thing was smoking. And now there's another style of music that's similar in some ways to Renaissance music called Roma music or gypsy music. And uh, this was all, you know, this is like literally people who travel around in caravans, write and play these songs at campfires and things like that. And the second half of it reminded me of that style of music. Uh, a friend of mine from Cirque du Soleil turned me on to this stuff years ago, and I absolutely love it. In fact, uh, one of the albums I reviewed of Roma music is in the top 10 episodes of those listened to on the Haskin Cast podcast, which oh. is really surprising. Um, still, the Kiss episode I did with John is number one, but uh, <laughs> there you go. So, Matola um, Bump. Matola <laughs> Bump, yeah. Uh, you know, whenever I need that celebrity, <laughs> I just yeah. know right where to go. Uh, That's but yeah, to do with I, Kiss, everything to no. do with John. <laughs> what, what's even more fascinating about my ranking of this song is how much I despise the flute. So uh, that's, that says a lot about how well this song was done. Um, but also, I don't know if you guys know, but Ian Anderson played with Uriah Heep at a gig. And uh, there's some stuff on YouTube where you can check it. I think it was also released on uh, on a live album. But uh, yeah, very tasteful stuff. I was really impressed with how how he integrates with other bands when he's not the primary writer. Nice. Um, I will give this one a 3.5. I would probably give it a four if it was, you know, more in the vein of that last <clears throat> half. Um, as for Jethro Tull, personally, um, no Iomi, no Tull. That's what I say. Ever since Iomi left the band, it's just been downhill. No, um, I've always uh, really liked Jethro Tull. And, you know, I got a co- like an old used copy of Aqualung in my, for my first car and just listened to that tape until it wore out. And, um, you know, I, I got like maybe five or six of their albums and just kind of like lost track of them. But everything I've heard by them, I always really enjoyed. I just it's because it's just there's nothing quite like it. It's. I love the, like who the hell else would bring up a, a flute into a rock band like that and and actually make it super rocky. But yet they also have these kind of Renaissance vibe stuff going on, too, like similar to this. Like um, so it's yeah, it's just I, I think they're a really cool band. But uh, yeah, I like that track. I like that track a lot. When my brother wow. and I used to jam together, we did uh, Locomotive Breath and Cross-Eyed Mary. Oh, love I that. think we tried doing Aqualung, but without a third person. Like, he was a guitar player and I was a drummer, so we kind of needed a third person at least for Aqualung. But a lot of fun to play those songs. Yeah, one of my um, worst uh, things was I – the first thing I ever wrote when I started playing bass – I wrote um, I wrote the riff for Aqualung. I'd never heard the song, and I I played it for our friend Scott. I was like, "Hey, check out what I just wrote," and he's like, "Oh, that's Aqualung." I'm like, "What the hell's Aqualung?" <laughs> and he tells me, and I hear the song, I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" The first thing I ever wrote, like it was almost note for note. Like th- there was one oh, tiny man. little variation. But I was so pissed off. I was like, "Come on, man! I just started with this. Somebody throw me a bone." <laughs> Not that what I would have put together would have been anything like that song. The rest of the song, but it was the sure. riff for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay, the next one is a cover by of a band called Renaissance. Um, 
you know, right, kind of on the nose. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this one is called Ocean Gypsy. Here we go. And this song is from 1975 by the band Renaissance. You could definitely feel that's Richie playing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, just... You don't hear a hell of a lot of, you know, aside of... Soldier of Fortune and Anya, like, you don't hear a lot of him on acoustic. Yeah, that's true. Up until this point. But style, I mean, stylistically, you just know that's Richie. Yep. I heard people re- referring to this album or this band as being prog, the renaissance that is. Really? But I, yeah, it doesn't sound very proggy, but I don't know much about the band. So maybe they were super proggy and this is... Did you say Richie's doing the keyboards on this album? Um, Pat Regan is doing them. And let's see if Richie has any keyboard credits. He does not have any keyboard credits, so it must be all Pat Regan. Okay. And that's our connection to one day doing a Weird Al album review. There you go. Dare to be stupid. I kind of feel like you don't need a reason to do that. You could just do it. Say we're taking a week off and just doing something different. (laughs) Yeah, that won't mess with my obsessive compulsive disorder at all. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't fit into the box. (laughs) Get Judy Tenuta on to play some accordion for you. (laughs) So Candace says that Richie went to see them in a club, Renaissance, and he and that they had these tapes that they gave to him of songs, and this is one of the ones that was on it. And then he and Candace really liked this track, and that like she was kind of like uh, humming it along later when he was playing, figuring out on guitar. But they had to like search through the tapes to like find the song so they could actually write down the lyrics and find out what they were. Mm-hmm. I want to know what clubs that band was playing. <laughs> In an interview, Richie said he has 2,000 Renaissance CDs. Jeez. He has all of them. Well, about a thousand <laughs> of them are Black Moore's Night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cases, cases of uh, merchandise. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I think this band, the band that wrote this song, they, uh, yeah, they were either a New York band or, but I th- I know that they were kind of popular in the, like, New England area. And, oh, really? 
Yeah. Let's see. Uh, they originated in London. Okay, so they're not from New England. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, they may have been around. Maybe they resettled in that area. Just like the pilgrims. I really do love the atmosphere of the song, though. Yeah, Candace says, uh-huh. you know, talks about the haunting melodies. The band created a significant following in the northeast of the United States. There you go, man. In the 1970s. Your instinct was right. Hmm. It's only because my cousin's husband plays the hammer dulcimer, and I think he told me that. Oh, really? Does <laughs> yeah, for real. There you go. There was another one. Was it Trapezoid or something like that? We should have had him on instead. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> have a dulcimer player tell us what's up. I would have to think there, there would be a good application for bands playing this kind of music in like Salem and, and places like that, that that are giving that older tours and history. Yeah. Uh, Starbuck Village and Salem. Yeah. And- Maybe I'll put together a Blackmore Snake cover band and head up there. There you go. <laughs> It'd be, you know, the Richie's manager. It'd probably be cheaper to just hire Blackmore Snake. <laughs> Richie would like, be like, excuse band? me, that is our territory. If you want to play Blackmore's <laughs> Night, you need to get out of the Northeast. You're going to need to buy a, a longer loading ramp from me. <laughs> get a Pops introduce them. He'd be like... And now introducing Shaylor's Night. Shaylor's Night. <laughs> Shaylor Night. <laughs> Shaylor Night. <laughs> he coughs it. And now coming to the stage, <coughs> Shaylor Night. <laughs> uh, sounds better than Van Shaler, so. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. John, what do you think of Ocean Gypsy? Yeah, I was um, I was tuned out for most of that. So I'll give it a two. <laughs> okay. Oops, I, I really your, wasn't like. Yeah, I put your rating in for you. you. Sorry. Thank you. No, that's good. You saved me the trouble. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep finding the two yeah, on the keyboard. Very difficult. <laughs> yeah, Bobby let's just keep, keep, it, keep it moving along here. It, it, yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It just wasn't. Um, it was filler. No, really. All right, Scott. I, I think the real problem is that John's already dropped twos in for the rest of the songs that we haven't listened to yet. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go. Cut out, he's going to put a cut out there in front of the camera. <laughs> right. I think I'm going to go with a three on this one. Um, I like I said, I really like the feel of it, but the song really didn't do anything. Uh, Thirty seconds in, you had the entire song, and it yeah. just continued on from there. Um, I realize this is a storytelling song, mm-hmm. but if I were listening to this on an audiobook in the car, I would have just crashed into something by by that point because it just musically there was nothing that kept it interesting there were no little fill-ins from Richie or anything like that that um, really stood out yep Rich I'm still trying to justify all my ratings in my own head but (laughs) (laughs) harder for me than you guys can imagine Um, Rich is going to console himself with a lot of chocolate after this episode (laughs) <laughs> it's. I felt like it was slightly less than average, but 
I, I'm going to use a scale of, of Renaissance music because if I use the scale of just music in general, mm. I would have to change all my ratings. So I'm going to go on a scale of Renaissance, this type of music. It's average 2.5. If there'd been more Richie soloing in there, maybe it brought it up, but it just ew, way too long uh, of the same thing. Mm. Nothing. Yeah, I'll agree. I'll give it a 2.5 too. I, I, I agree with what Candace is saying. It's like, it is like a really nice haunting melody, but like if that was, Instead of six minute song, a three minute song, I think it could have. I don't think it really went anywhere different. I'm not familiar with the original. Um, I did actually play it for two minutes and let it haunt me. <laughs> let the haunting take place afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's not really. It doesn't really jump out at me as being um, uh, necessary. Like like Scott said, in the folk tradition or in the tradition of this kind of music, storytelling song, great. That's for me personally not something I'm usually crazy about. Is like uh, a song where it tells a long story, but doesn't do anything different musically. Like when John and I were on um, the seventies weekly podcast this week and we got to um, spoilers when we got to um, American <laughs> pie, it's like, that's the so- an example of a song for me where I'm just like, Oh my God, it's just over and over and over again. Just, I don't, I don't care for the story. It doesn't do anything mm-hmm. for me. Um, but right. I would rank the song higher than American Pie. Um, that that okay. song is a is a reason that every thesaurus should just be banned. Every thesaurus <laughs> and rhyming dictionary should just be burned to to a crisp. Yeah, rhyming dictionary, Chevy and Levy. Um, <laughs> right. All right. Here we go with the next track up. This one is uh, an instrumental, I believe. Minstrel Hall. The name of the Blackmore residence. I'm guessing this is an original. It is, but kind of Bach influenced right there. <laughs> Bach. Ba Bach. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, Richie has a has <laughs> stolen more than a few riffs in his day, and it's easy to do from Bach. He's not going to sue you. Is that a MASH reference? Ah, I think it is. Ah, 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 yeah. I, as soon as you guys said that, I pictured Radar O'Reilly doing that. <laughs> but it's kind of cool because it, it's not one for one with Bach. And it takes you into, like, when you think it's, when you know where it's going to go, it takes you into a different direction, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's like mock Bach. <laughs> mock Bach. <laughs> it's it's mock. <laughs> and I can't tell if those are like keyboard flutes, like a set of keyboard flutes or something, but it sounds really good in the background. It's very quiet. And I think that's the difference when you if you have the fake brass strings, flutes, and they're subtle in the background versus being that uncommon man yeah. thing right in your face, it, it works a lot better. Exactly. But maybe they're real too. That would, would also work. I'm trying to figure out if the percussion is percussion or if it's Richie, Richie actually tapping on his guitar. I just hear him like tapping his guitar. I'm hearing boom, boom. No, there's there's a little tambourine in there too. Oh yeah, like way, way off in the distance. Yeah. 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 
sold your fortune. <laughs> All right. So that was Minstrel Hall, which I I don't know if that came before they started calling their house Minstrel Hall or if one is named after the other, but there you have it. What do you guys think of that? John, Minstrel Hall. Here, you put it in for me because you're already there. Um <laughs> John, you've been working hard. Um, let me let me type that number in for you. Then you have to sing the song. Uh, uh, Two point five. That's what I would do if I had to. If if um, Richie greeted me, I would show him how I can enter numbers on a spreadsheet. <laughs> I would really win him over. He'd be like, "Out, <laughs> get out." It was, some, it was um, you know, it was a good Richie instrumental, but not as um, I guess not as um, not one that really kind of was as uh, beautiful and haunting as some of the other stuff that he's written. It was just kind of seemed like he was just going for a style and he did it and it was, it was okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Rich. Good timing. I was just coughing. There you go. Um, Scott. <laughs> I uh, said Scott. I'm actually going to give that a four. All right. Um, oh. I actually really liked it. Um, I like hearing him play like that though. And that's when I got the album, that's sort of what I wanted it to be was that him, you know, doing that style of music, you know, the finger picking, the, I I don't know. It it just, it does it for me. I mean, in all the albums, he usually has one or two of these on there and they're usually the ones that are standout for me that, or, uh, I forget the name, the term that Scott used for the music that gypsy infused. He does a bunch of those too on, Mm -hmm. especially on the, and they're, without a doubt, my favorite that he does on that stuff and live as well. Um, so yes, well, four. Hmm. All right. Drew Scott. I, uh, I agree. I think it's a, it's a four. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't incredibly dramatic. Like I would have thought it was going to be, but it had a really good feel to it. It was very smooth, very well played. I like the gentleness of the sounds that they layered in, but keeping them in the background instead of, you know, bringing anything up front, uh, to kind of, you know, balance the guitar. Um, yeah, very well done. I, I, I love when it feels like Richie's just playing because he wants to play. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'll, you know what? What the hell? I'm going to give it a four, too. I think it's a really good instrumental, super simple, doesn't doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, yeah, pretty much everything you guys said. What more can you say about Minstrel Hall? Well, I, I can say for those of you that are listening to the audio-only version of this podcast, assuming it doesn't get banned from YouTube, uh, is the look of disgust on John's face when Nate <laughs> gave it a four. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I missed it too, and it's going to be lost to time because he's not, it's not going to record on the video. I don't think he's he's uh, not because it's just going to show me. Oh, we really? should have a picture in picture where I'm giving the rating and John's in the corner of the team. Can't believe you people giving these songs a four. <laughs> that was great. Um, like that's the next one's a war horse like, cover. <laughs> <laughs> But I like this kind of thing, like, and I, even if they, if the, if Richie had stuck around in Deep Purple or whatever, and they had accepted like doing this hybrid thing and go, you know, do letting him do his thing, and they inserted this as like a little instrumental interlude on a song, like I love little things like that that are just not a not a proper song with the whole band, but instrumental, but you just kind of pepper them in an album. I, I love stuff like that. 
um, that that stuff always gets me, you know. And if it's if it's at the right length and it's not trying to do too much, but um, yeah, this is agree. definitely something I could have seen him doing, uh, you know, when he was playing a solo or something mm-hmm. during a purple show, just kind of going into something like that for a minute or two. Yep. So the next track is called Magical World. This is a, a Blackmore Knight original. Um, well, I'm sorry. This is a Blackmore Knight. It's a traditional wassail, which has additional parts written by Blackmore Knight. As in, here we go, a wassailing? Yeah. I guess so. It's the traditional really? wassail, which is usually like a, Chris, a Christmas sort of thing. Another waltz. Yeah. It almost feels a little bit like an Irish folk song, too. Even though it doesn't have a deal with the themes of Christmas, it sounds like it should be on a Christmas album. <laughs> Stereo work on that guitar solo. Yeah. I like that solo a lot. Yeah, it sounded good. Was that a classical guitar, do you think? I think it was a steel string. Mm, no, it's not steel string, steel to me. Okay. Richie said he had an Alvarez guitar and a, and a Taylor that he used on this album, both acoustics. Taylors do make some nice acoustics. Nice vocal layering. Magical, magical. Now it's extra magical. Magical squared. 
three that time. It's like when you pour magic shell over your ice cream cone and then you do it Ooh. again after it dries. I was first in- introduced to magic shell at John's house as a, as a, well, we were probably too old to be. <laughs> we were probably in our 20s <laughs> or at least late, late teens. But I remember like I'd never seen it before. And John's mom bought it. We we're like, we'd just be sitting there in the basement in our pajamas, like pouring magic shell on our ice cream. <laughs> we were definitely Man, both. It was at least, great. Oh, yeah. At least old enough to drive. But yeah, we used to love that. Oh, was oh good geez, stuff. I'd be doing that now unapologetically. <laughs> I saw your eyes light up the, for the first time this episode when you mentioned Magic Shell. <laughs> you talked about Magic Shell. But, ooh, yeah, because, I mean, you poured it on there and then it formed this shell. And, man, that with the, with the taste was just so good. You know it had to have, like, tons of chemicals and oh, shit. Oh, yeah. What, what else could cause it you, to do that? <laughs> it shouldn't be able to do right. that. It shouldn't be able to be allowed to taste it that good, too. I can, I can remember how good it tastes. Mm-hmm. I can, like, I can taste it now. Mm-hmm. I got to run like out the, and get the, some. So like the dip stuff, like when you get a cone and they dip it yeah, in. Yeah, the, it's pretty much the same um, thing, yeah. It's like a crunchy, yeah. it's, it's liquid that you pour over it and then it turns into a crunchy chocolate shell. Yeah. Or but butterscotch or whatever. Yeah, but it had a different flavor to it. Yeah, it was a little different right. than like the Dairy Queen dip, but it was it was good. But man, mm-hmm. was it good. good. Dairy Queen was the first version I had uh, of it and I could not wait because I knew we were going to Dairy Queen. It had just come out. I was dying to try it, waiting hours for my dad to get off work and he ended up having to stay late made it to Dairy Queen right before they closed like it was one of those things that as a kid is the biggest deal in the absolute world and you look back at it as an adult and you're like god I was stupid (laughs) could have had it the next day you know yeah, I still I, make it. I just remember when seeing it at, you know, John's mom, I think she came home from the grocery store and she brought this out and John was like all excited. And I'm like, oh, man, what's this? And I tried it. And I was like, it truly was a magical world. I'm like, how does this work? It's it's like liquid in the container. You put it over. Now it's now it's solid. Like, this is crazy. It was a magical, yeah, magical have, world. Uh, did you guys have the magic sand when you're a kid? It's probably the same theory. You just oh, have yeah. that sand you could pour in the water and mm-hmm. it was like, you know. It was like mud in the water, but as soon as you took it out of the water, it turned back to dry sand. Yeah. Oh no! It, it came in a little. Yeah. Uh, it, it looked like a like a Persian bottle with uh, the top, you know, uh, on it that uh, had that little spire on it, like a little genie's and, lamp um, or something. Like yeah, a, like like a genie's yeah. uh, like where, a genie's where lamp. Where genie yeah. used to live, <laughs> right? <laughs> in that bottle or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, similar to that. That mm. stuff was awesome. Which is made out of a liquor bottle. There you go. There you go. Makes sense. <laughs> All right. All so right, wait a minute right. before we before we go on to this. Right, we're talking about magic shells. So I looked it up. Right, <laughs> it doesn't have any weird ingredients in it. You know, I mean, it's sugar, sunflower oil, coconut oil, cocoa, chocolate, soy lecithin, milk, salt, vanilla. Well, I think I if, if no you've idea. got if you've got the right combination of oils, yeah. like if you melted butter and Maybe, then poured yeah. it onto ice cream, it would harden up that same way and it would right, it yeah. would, might not have the same crunch but it would you know if you find something that's going to have that right solidifying point with ice cream then yeah. you, you know i'm sure i'm sure it took some uh some some food engineers to figure it out but <clears> when <throat> they did they figured out magical shell but magical uh, shell, just, magical just, world john how would you I look it up it says mercury <laughs> like the first well, thing I'll, I'll just read this one review on this this is on the smuckers website one review utterly useless and disappointing <laughs> useless and disappointing 
Wow. So, John, how would you? You guys have found your first sponsor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sponsors of the Deep Purple Podcast brought to you by Magic Shell. Magic Shell. I like how that sounds. So, John, how would you rate how would you rate Magic Shell on a scale of of one to five? Ten. (laughs) (laughs) No, five. Are you kidding me? Five all the way, man. All right. How about Magical World? All right, that's going to be a different story. Um, <laughs> Although now um, his talking about magic shell was going to probably artificially inflate this one. <laughs> or deflate yeah, now it. Now yeah. I'm, all, now I'm all excited, so I'll just give fives to anything. No, um, this was, um, I, I would say this is um, uh, not not objectionable. I'll give it a 2.5. It was, uh, it was average. Um, I Again, I think the standout was uh, the um, Richie's solo he's he's got some good solos in this and um i like the what do we say the stereo quality it had a different you know kind of um kind of audio quality to it that made it uh stand out in this song so i I kind of appreciate that you know there i'm finding that there are little nuances and touches you know in the the playing and the production here and there at least with um at least with richie anyways so you know that's that's good it makes it interesting okay rich um, well, you could dip it in maggot, maggot shell, <laughs> magic shell. That's not as good. That would get a, a one yeah. for Ooh, me. Maggot shell. Ugh. It's a big one from John. It's still better than that. Uh, butthole surfers. That's version, the, uh, that's the, uh, that's the garbage pail kids version of <laughs> magic Ew. shell or the wacky packages from my generation. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. so anyway, uh, yeah, I did not care for it. Loved the Richie solo, but. Uh, other than that, absolutely, completely forgettable. So I'm going to give it a. Uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> we lost him. Oh, here he comes. Right, He's coming right. back, man. Oh, Rich. No, no, I just left. You left us on a. Um, you left us on a cliffhanger. You left it with like, I'm going to give it up, and then it just, <laughs> and then it's yeah. find out next week. Yeah, it says your network bandwidth is low, so. <laughs> no. yep. yep, Rich is all blurry now. Well, we're going to be wrapping up. Yep. We're going to be wrapping up soon. So, all right. Wow. Okay, uh, Scott. Well, I also had uh, wacky packages, and I also collected the uh, automobile version, Weird Wheels which Ooh. were cars that had those same kind of strange names. Lots of fun. Um, I will give uh, a Maggot Shell a one, <laughs> but I will give the song, I'm going to give it a four because I thought there were some really beautifully done vocal layers in there. Uh, loved Richie's playing on this. And uh, tell me if you disagree, Nate, but I think the way that they're recording this is they've got one mic that's on Richie's guitar, like actually picking up his his fingers and another mic on his amp, and I think that's what they're they're using to create that stereo layer. It could be, it could be, because mm. I'm getting a lot of natural. I, I feel like I'm sitting right next to him while he's playing. I'm getting a lot of those finger sounds in there. So I think there's a mic there. Yeah, it's a really, really good acoustic sound on this whole album, mm, for sure. <clears throat> I will give this one a. I'm kind of with Rich on this one. I'll give this one a two. Um, it, it's not. 
it's probably of the of the first half of the album. It's probably my least favorite track, uh, but you know, good guitar solo, good good sounds, good production, um, good vocals. Just to me, it was just a little bit kind of repetitive. So, all right, next track up is "Writing on the Wall." It's another Princess Bride sort of. Strap yourself in, John. <laughs> I like that well, little. No, this is something else. This is a different song. Sounds like the opening to Puppet Master. So this is um What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> this is the dance remix. So this is uh Tchaikovsky. Which is what? What is John, this? Like, uh, like Richie's attempt to like get into the clubs? I think this is Richie's <laughs> attempt to do ABBA. I agree. He's a big fan. He's a huge fan. All yeah. right, he got me there. She even sounds like ABBA on this. She does. There's a song um, that they do on the uh, Christmas album called Christmas Eve, and, and it always cracked me up because there's a very obvious drum machine that Richie's playing along to. And I think this is a guy that's played with Ian Pace, Cozy Powell. He could probably hire any drummer in the world. Yep. And he's playing to a cheesy sounding drum machine. That That always kind of just felt so awkward to me. I kind of like it. But this is credited to Tchaikovsky, Black, and Blackmore, and Knight. Now everything's going to be skewed. <laughs> I promise you I'll never remind you of it. <laughs> but this is great, like, to end the first half of the album with this. And Richie says about this song, he's playing a strat here. Is he using his octave pedal? Sounds like it. So Richie said, I wanted to surprise people at first. First they hear medieval music and suddenly the thing turns into a disco beat. I'd say that that was successful. Because this is not what I think anyone would think after seven songs of traditional medieval music. Right. another one I, I can see him doing with Rainbow. Oh, for sure. But I think here's where I'd like a little bit more out of Candace's voice than that smoothness. You know, something that kind of pushes the, the vocals the way that the drums are pushing the song. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> the Richie falling down the stairs. <laughs> there we go, we get the long fade out. Live, he really dragged that one out. Mm. Did they play this one? Uh, one of the early shows, yeah, and he, he pulled the Strat out for it. They do that and like Black Knight and a couple others. Oh, really? On the Strat. Nice. Yeah. All right, John. What do you think of uh, Blackmore's ABBA? Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. Um, give it a three. All right. But it was uh, it was pretty um, it was different for him. It was it was nice to hear uh, some kind of uh, classic Richie, although. He was he was turned up to about like from a scale of one to ten. He was like turned up to a three. It was it was like he had his practice amp on in like his parents' house, and he's like, "I want to play, but not too loud. <laughs> I don't want to wake my mom's going to be pissed if I wake her up." <laughs> like you could you could hear Richie in there, but you could tell it was like it was really dialed back. Like it wasn't his regular tone. It sounded like mm -hmm. it was really dialed back. But I mean, it's unmistakably him. So it was kind of nice to hear a little bit of the old Richie in there with some uh, kind of uh, you know that kind of disco uh, feel in there. Um, like, you know, he was, you know, onto something like, all right, I wanted to do something a little different. Well, he shocked the people. That's right. So that's good. Yeah. It was, it was a kind of a nice, uh, nice break. Right. Reaction there. Scott. I'm struggling with this one. I, I'm going to give it a three. I, I was going to say 2.5, but I think Richie's soloing, just hearing that, uh, was was nice enough to bump it up to a 3. Um, I think the reason that he was turned down so low is because he would he would have been too overpowering. I mean, if he had any more of an edge in the guitar, I think it would have just been too overpowering with the other songs and with the instruments in this song. But... Um, I, I'm having such a hard time getting past that drum machine. If this was a demo version of the song that he sent out to the guys in the band to record their parts, I could say this is a great demo version. But for it to be on the album with that drum machine, I don't know, it just it just doesn't sit well with me. So uh, that's why I'll go with a three. All right, Rich. Uh, you hit the nail on the head for me, Nate, comparing it to ABBA, because that's kind of what I've always thought about this song. And I know that he loves them and it's probably what he was going for. Um, I hate the drum machine um, <laughs> and the bass keyboard sound at the beginning. It's enough to make you sick too. But, but I don't know why I've always liked this song. It was the standout for me when I first heard this album. Like it just, it's like a, it's a ear candy. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, there's nothing to it. It's nothing special. It's nothing, but it just like an ABBA song kind of just gets in there. It's got a cool melody. Um, great soloing by Richie. I just loved hearing him play the Strat again, um, especially after hearing all the Renaissance tunes. It's like, oh, look, he can still play the Strat. Um, and I just, I enjoy it. So I'm going to give it a four. All right. Um, yeah, I really like this one too. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I, for some reason, the drum machine should bother me, but it just does. It, it's definitely jarring when you first hear it. You're like, what the hell is going on <laughs> halfway through this album? But, right. um, despite that, uh, I, I just think it's, you know, like, I think the melody of it's really good. And like, uh, 
yeah, I think it creates a cool mood. And I, I just like the fact that it kind of breaks things up a little bit. It's not going to be so samey on for the whole album. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good track. I do think that when we look back on the album on the whole, that we're going to say this should have been the last song on the album. Mm. Quite, quite possible. That would be a. I agree. Yeah, the placement is questionable mm-hmm. for sure. Um, maybe as a bonus track or, you know, an ending track. It actually makes me think of, uh, uh, oh, I can't, can't believe I can't get the name of the song on the last purple, the, uh, dancing, oh, dancing, oh, dancing in my, yeah. Dancing, dancing in my sleep. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah, totally. Where it has like kind of a different sound as from the rest of the album. Right. All right. Well, you know, obviously with, with four, uh, ratings. We, we we knew we would go a little bit long, but before we wrap it up, um, we have to do something. We'll wrap up the first half. We'll be back at you next week with the second half. Um, but for the uh, uh, before we get to the closing, we are going to uh, do something, which is to thank our patrons because they help us, they support us. And if you want to support the show and continue to get um, episodes every week and uh, keep us in good things, make sure me and John are dressed all fancy. Um, John is the heartthrob of the episode, if you haven't listened to Pot of Thunder this week. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, thanking our foundation-level p- patrons. Coming in at the $3 aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, we have Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau. Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, uh, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rap Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fieldboo, Runar Siemensen, Runar Siemensen. Just making up for the fact that I forgot I forgot him on one of the last episodes. <laughs> I skipped right I was over him. What that was. So I'm, I've made. I thought good. you were making fun of the repetitiveness of that last song. <laughs> that too. Um, uh, JJ Stenard. Who else we got? Ruinous inadequacies. John Maselli. Tanya Stromboli, my little cannoli. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Boyette coming in at the one dollar and seventy one cent. I want my own tier tier. Rich Young at the ten kroner tier. Karsten Lau at the one pound tier. Long Long Lord Longford and at the one dollar made up name tier. The uh, <laughs> the. the Tomb ticks on, leaky mausoleum. <laughs> uh, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic. Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, and <coughs> Blackmore Tights. Thank you so much for all of your support of the Deep Purple Podcast. And that's it. We're halfway through Blackmore Knight's debut album. I got a great picture texted to our our group chat of of John 
uh, <laughs> of John <laughs> listening along. So I'll have to post that in the show notes. <laughs> Me pontificating or <laughs> John looking at the clock. He was, stare, he was staring at my child in time clock behind me now that now has batteries in it. It's telling proper time. Nice. Hurry up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, guys, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Can't wait to get back into it next week and uh, finish yeah. this up and hit some reviews oh. of the album and uh, do our normal closing out. Nice. All right. So much thanks fun. for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. And we'll yes, thank you. And I know I begged and begged to be on a show where I could, uh, you know, actually give ratings, but I'm regretting it now. Yep. <laughs> it's way harder than I anticipated. Yes. <laughs> so if you guys can take anything away from this to make you feel better, is all the crap I gave you guys about ratings all these years, I'm feeling some of the pain now. <laughs> it's hard. It's very hard. Rich, his own harshest critic. And trying in your own mind to, to rate it against everything else you've ever given a four or a three, it's just, it's hard to do. You just got to live in the well, moment. Well, that's why I, I think, yeah, you just, I, that's why I put the qualifiers on it and yeah, saying, just, like, I'm just comparing it to other things of its type. Yeah, it's it's too difficult to do otherwise, so. so take still, not sure, you... still not sure I'd give any Black Morse Night song, you know, a higher rating than demon's eye but hey whatever <laughs> <laughs> take that all you monday morning quarterbacks that's right exactly yeah. exactly that's right yeah monday morning learn, podcasters. From, learn from my mistakes <laughs> all right well thanks guys we'll see you next week okay. thank you thanks thank you for listening to the deep purple podcast if you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Oh, very nice. A, stein, a magician's podcast stein. The, ye magician's podcast mug. <laughs> it looks exactly like the Ren Fair by my house. <laughs> Look at these fucking people. <laughs> Look at these nerds. It's crazy. Oh, give me one second.